You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 140 of season 3. Episode 205 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Saturday, September 4th, 2021. It is the Labor Day weekend, and I have the good fortune, the great blessing of being off today, tomorrow, the next day. I'm not even on call. How about that? I thought my wife and children and I had to get COVID in order to not be on call, but Apparently, we are going to switch some things around. We're switching a lot of things around. And one of the things that's being switched around is that myself and my alternate will not be on call every single weekend, 24-7, 365 days a year, as has been the case the past two years. Moving forward, we will alternate. So one of us will be on call one weekend. The other of us will be on call the next weekend. And actually... To be quite honest with you, that sounds really, really great. I have never in my life been on call nonstop, all the time, 100%, no rest since I can remember in nearly a decade of working in oil and gas, the seven years preceding the two, actually, I think today, I think today marks two years since I started working for Sterling Energy Investments in the Weldana, Briggsdale, and Sterling area. But in the past two years, it has been pretty much nonstop. Unless there was a major upset, illness, death in the family, leave the state on vacation, it has been nonstop on call. Might get a call any hour, any minute, any second of the day or night. And to be quite honest with you, that can be downright exhausting. That can be absolutely tiresome because you never really feel like you are fully in the moment wherever you're at when you're off work, if you're always on call. The phone might ring at any moment. You might get a text at any moment and have to drop everything, leave your family and friends wherever they're at, and book it an hour one way. And then what? And and then be there for 15 minutes, and then the hour back, or be there for two, three, four hours. I've had a few situations where I was called out in the evening, and I worked all through the night like 100% through the night into the next morning and didn't go home until mid-morning the next day after having worked a full day the day before. I've had that happen a few times since I started with Sterling Energy. And to be fair and to be very clear, I'm not trying to undertake a complaining session here, but it is ironic to me that this is Labor Day weekend. It's ironic to me that this weekend is the federal holiday weekend in the U.S. in which we celebrate the American 
labor movement. I'll read a little bit from the Wikipedia article here to give you broader context. In case you didn't know, I didn't know. So maybe this ends up being educational for all of us. The first Monday in September in any given year to honor and recognize the American labor movement and the works and contributions of laborers to the development and achievements of the United States. That is Labor Day. It is the Monday of the long weekend known as Labor Day weekend. Beginning in the late 19th century, as the trade union and labor movements grew, trade unionists proposed that a day be set aside to celebrate labor. Labor Day was promoted by the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor, which organized the first parade in New York City. In 1887, Oregon was the first state of the United States to make it an official public holiday. By the time it became an official federal holiday in 1894, 30 states in the United States officially celebrated Labor Day. There's a paragraph here about Canada's Labor Day, but nobody likes you, Canada, so we're not going to read the paragraph about Canada's Labor Day. They should just celebrate our Labor Day. We should just annex Canada, actually. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so this is Labor Day. This is Labor Day weekend. This is what it is. And I I find it interesting that one of the big accomplishments of the labor union, trade union movement in the 19th century was getting the standard workday set at eight hours. Eight-hour workday, that's what it should be, and everything else is measured relative to that. And depending on where you're at, different laws in different states and localities and different standard policies for different companies, et cetera, et cetera. Anything over 12 hours is overtime. In some places, anything over 40 hours, doesn't matter how many hours you work in a shift. But it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. There was a time, at least so I hear, I wasn't there personally. I didn't witness this firsthand, but this is what I read. So I have to take that with a grain of salt. But there was a time, particularly at the outset of the Industrial Revolution, where you had factory workers and miners and various employed persons, laborers, who basically had to work however many hours in whatever conditions or else they would lose their job. And if their job was a high-paying job, then they would just endure whatever because, hey, my wife and my children have to eat. I got to put food on the table. I got to pay for housing. I got to pay for clothing. I've got to make ends meet. And I can't afford to tell my employer no. And I can't afford to risk establishing boundaries with my boss because maybe, just maybe, he'll send me packing and he'll just hire somebody else who will do whatever it is that he tells them to do without question, without exception. And so one of the accomplishments, for better or worse, sometimes worse, but honestly, sometimes better, of the labor movement was that it was asserted and it was recognized at the highest level in government that employees have some rights. 
an employer cannot hold an employee over a barrel and abuse them and mistreat them and exploit them without consideration for any need to negotiate. You can't punish an employee for saying, hey, wait a second, I need a break. I need a 15-minute break to rest every two hours when I'm doing hard physical labor. You can't punish an employee and send them packing because they asked for a break after two hours of hard manual labor. You just can't do it. You can't have your employees working in extremely hot conditions for extended periods of time. And then if they dare to come out to try and get some water and some fresh air, catch their breath, you fire them. You can't do that, right? So you have these things now in the past century plus, like OSHA, which establishes a oversight for businesses to make sure that they're not trying to cut costs by putting their employees at risk for life and limb. Now, an interesting thing happens here, and this is, I want to tease this, and I want to, I want to talk about it, and I want to pull on this thread. But an interesting thing happens in the modern era where work is less and less labor-intensive from a manual labor standpoint for more and more Americans. More and more Americans don't have to worry so much about the sweat of their brow, but more and more Americans really have to put their minds into the work that they do. And if they don't put their minds into it, like their forebears used to put their backs into it, they will not have a job for long, or they won't have a decent job, or they're not going to go anywhere in their job. And so you have to be able to use a computer. You have to be able to think more broadly. You've got to be able to think in abstract ways. You've got to be able to creatively problem solve. You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to use technology and leverage technology in order to get your job done. Well, one of the ways you have to be willing in order to be competitive to leverage technology is you've got to be always available. You've got to have your phone on you. You've got to keep the sound up or the vibration on, and you got to keep it close enough to where you can hear it, you can notice it, you can feel it when it rings or it vibrates. And then you've got to react. So a customer calls you, a manager emails you, a coworker texts you, so on and so forth. And now your success, present and future, is contingent on how quickly and how effectively you respond. No response at all, it's not gonna go well for you. But having to respond very quickly, barring some emergency, that creates a constant stress in which you're never really fully in the moment doing something else, which is another way of saying you're never really fully off the clock. As soon as you are given a company phone, and you're expected to have it on you at all times, in some sense, you're always on the clock. You become a kind of slave to that device. Now, I can say for me personally, I've had a company phone for all of the years that I've been with oil and gas industry companies. All of the years. 
So in the nearly decade that I've had a company phone and had to keep tabs on it for SCADA callouts, little alarms coming through saying, hey, this well is down or it's a warning or it's about to be down or it started back up or this facility just threw this alarm or this flow rate dropped below this certain set point. If I have been away from my work phone to where I couldn't hear it or I couldn't see it or I couldn't feel it in my pocket, as soon as I've realized that for nearly a decade, I've had a pang of anxiety because for all I know, it could cost me my job if I'm completely unresponsive. And so my phone is always 100% of the time, except if I just completely space, my phone is always right there, right there in my hip. In fact, here's an eerie thing, which I've never talked about, actually. But why not? Because this is the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet. I want to talk about everything. Would you know that sometimes when I haven't received a call or a text or an email on my days off, on my vacation, when I take vacation, when I try to take vacation, I should say, sometimes when I'm on vacation and I haven't got a call or a text or an email for a while, sometimes I will feel a vibration in my pocket right about where the phone usually is. And sometimes I'll reach into that pocket or I'll feel for my phone to try and press it harder against my leg to see if it is vibrating, if I have the sound off, but it's vibrating right now, like a call is coming in. And sometimes I will find that I don't even have my phone in my pocket. Isn't that a funny thing? I don't even have the phone in my pocket and yet I could have sworn I felt my phone vibrating in my pocket. It's almost like what I hear described as phantom limb pain, where somebody has a tragic accident, they lose an arm, they lose a leg, but they still feel that arm or that leg there at random times when they would usually be using it or when, when they would usually reach out with that arm, let's say, before they can catch themselves and remember that they don't have that arm anymore, they feel a kind of pain like there was a dead end on the nerve, but their mind is expecting that arm to still be there. And so actually, very, uh, very interesting. This is an odd deal. But prosthesis actually helps to eliminate phantom limb pain. Odd thing. I, it sounds weird, but even just visually having and seeing in a mirror, the mirror image of your arm in your other arm. Let's say you, you lost your right arm and then you look at a mirror of your left arm and it makes it look like you have your left arm and your right arm. Even just seeing that in a mirror can make phantom limb pain go away. Because all of a sudden your brain is like, ah, okay, cool. Whew, had me going there for a second. Weirdest thing. But I personally, I don't know how to feel about the fact that I have this 
sensation from time to time that my phone is ringing in my pocket. I don't know how I feel about that because I think it's one of those many, many ways that as we develop this technology that we associate with the 21st century, we are outpacing our understanding of the ramifications, psychological, social, political, cultural, religious, spiritual, philosophical. We, we're outpacing our ability <clears throat> to think about what it is that we're actually doing. And we have to realize that there's a trade-off. There is a exchange. Anytime we choose to spend our time and money and attention doing one thing, we are necessarily not spending our time and money and attention doing other things. In business, this is known as opportunity cost, which is to say that if you were buying some new equipment, you shouldn't only think about what the cost of the equipment is that you're buying, and the labor to install it, and the downtime for getting everything switched over, ported over, and potential, oops, loss from things not working correctly the first time. You don't only think about that. You also, if you really want to capture all the costs, you also have to consider what the cost is or the benefits are that you're missing out on for other possible investments, other places you could invest your time, energy, attention, money. And once you've captured those, then you do the adding and the subtracting and you look at the difference and that tells you what the real true cost is. Hey, in order to do this, I miss out on X, Y, and Z. Is that worth it? You know, let, let's say, let's say hypothetically, Tuesday morning, I get calls from two different companies who are looking for a technician or an operator in this area. The economy's picking back up. They call me up and they say, hey, Garrett, saw your resume, saw your profile on LinkedIn, heard about you from somebody that knows you who works here. We'd really like to have you come in for an interview. We'd like you to come in and talk with us about a job. And company A says, we will offer you, let's just throw out a number. We'll offer you $35 an hour. And company B says, we'll offer you 45. 35 on the one hand, 45 on the other. Now, lots of other factors can be in the mix. Schedule, for instance, benefit package, working conditions. Uh, you know, wh where is this company going? What's the workforce? What's the work culture? Is that going to be a good fit? You know, lots of things can go into it besides just dollars and cents. But let's just let's just look at the dollars and cents and assume 40 hours one way, 40 hours the other, maybe 10 hours of overtime either way, pretty standard, pretty typically you're going to work 10 hours of overtime here and also there. But one place is offering you 45, one place is offering you 35. Now you think about it. Let's imagine that scenario and all other things being equal, you are paying an opportunity cost of $10 if you take the job that offers 35 as opposed to 45. You're paying an opportunity cost because you're missing out on that other $10. You're leaving that other $10 on the table per hour because you've turned down the job offer for 45. There might be reasons to do that. There might be extenuating circumstances. But nevertheless, that's an opportunity cost. Now, the flip side is if you are offered 35, but you have no job, 
and you have no other offers and no other opportunities and you don't know when you'll get another one and this place is offering you 35 well then the opportunity cost dynamics change entirely because now you're not comparing 35 and 45 now you're comparing 35 and zero which sounds better $35 an hour or $0 per hour? Well, when you put it that way, $0 per hour would be an opportunity cost of $35 an hour, right? So one of the big things that people miss in this day and age, and I didn't understand it at first either, but Adam Smith helped me to understand it better. Believe it or not, reading political science and history and working in the oil and gas industry really helped me to understand this. But the best thing for labor conditions is job opportunities. The more job opportunities there are relative to the number of workers there are to fill those job opportunities, the more competitive employers will be with regards to wages and working conditions and benefits and the way they relate to their employees and growth opportunities and training the fewer jobs there are relative the number of available workers, the worse all of those conditions, all of those factors will be because an employer doesn't have to bring their A game. They can put that time, money, attention, energy somewhere else. If there's 100 people who are banging down the door right now wanting your job, I guarantee your employer, unless they are a good, godly person who loves Jesus and they're going to do the right thing and they really, really like you and they're really committed, if they're just a person out in the world who doesn't know Jesus, they are going to cut your wages. They are going to increase the number of work hours that you have to make in order to stay employed and stay in their good graces. They are going to be harsh and critical with you when they feel like you've done anything that they didn't like. And and believe you me, when the job market conditions are just the opposite, where there's lots more jobs than there are workers to fill them, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to do things that your employer doesn't like, but they're going to be really, really nice about it. They're going to be really gracious because they don't want to be without you. But as soon as they feel like there's... 5, 10, 15, 100 other people who could do your job, would do your job for less and possibly better, what reason do they have to cater to you? What reason do they have to give you a raise? What reason do they have to make sure you're comfortable, make sure you're happy, make sure you're growing, make sure you're catching the vision of you being there long term? What reason do they have? They They don't have any reason. If you don't work out, if they use you up, they can just discard you when it's convenient and bring somebody else in to do your job for less. And so what a lot of progressive types, a lot of Democrat voters, especially young people, really don't understand is that the best thing for market conditions for the labor, for the employee, for the job seeker, the best thing for those is more jobs, more jobs. When there's more jobs, employers are more competitive. It breeds competition and they try to come up with great perks, great benefits, great pay. 
when overregulation, overtaxation, funny business, suppresses job growth, job creation, when it hurts the expansion of businesses, when it closes down businesses and drives them out of the country or out of the area, when those things happen, conditions get worse for labor. And so then the big government types <clears throat> who think that more regulation, more taxation, more oversight is the answer to everything, those big government types want to swoop in with more regulation to solve the problem. And they want to raise taxes so they can hire auditors and regulators to inspect these things more closely to make sure that the regulations they've added to the books are being followed. But as they drive up taxes and regulation, they exacerbate the problem. You know, rather than using a stick to whack corporations over the head to say you will treat your employees XYZ ways, sometimes, very often actually, I think usually, especially in this day and age, it's better to deregulate, to lower taxes, so that companies have the wherewithal to create more jobs. Because the more jobs are created, the more mobility, the more freedom, since we all love that word, the more freedom of movement, individual employees, labor, if you will, has to take their skills where it suits them, where it pleases them. And then they can talk with company A, B, C, D, E, and look at this offer, look at that offer, look at that offer, look at that offer. Okay, this guy's offering 35, this one's offering 45. This one's offering 45, but with a much better 401k, a much better health insurance plan. This one's offering 42, but I really like that schedule better, and I'd be home more often, and I could write, and I could podcast more. And this one over here offers a training program to move up into a much higher class of labor for myself to improve my family's condition in the years ahead. You know, these are all factors that are squelched when market conditions, whether due to government oversight or supply and demand dynamics, the geopolitical concerns, what have you, when, when market conditions compress job creation and the growth of businesses, all of a sudden, you go from having five options, like I just laid out, to having one or at best two options. And when you have at best one or two options, <clears throat> you're on the short end of the stick. You're going to take whatever you can get. And very often, that's going to mean you're taking something that is not really ideal. It's not the best fit. Now, God's gracious. God can bless that. And he does bless that when we're faithful and we're honoring him in the midst of difficulties. <clears throat> God sees that. God knows that. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But I find that <clears throat> in nearly a decade of working in oil and gas, I've had an incredible amount of freedom for the most part. And yet market conditions, supply and demand, on the one hand, government regulation and taxation, on the other hand, 
those two influences on the oil and gas industry have created a great deal of turbulence and uncertainty. And it's pretty much from six months to the next, from one set of six months, one half of a year to the next half of a year, from one year to the next, you really don't know. It seems like it's always around the bend. It's always over the next hill that maybe things are going to really open up and we're going to get back into a good way of producing, earning, growing, expanding, moving onwards and upwards. But you don't know because three months from now, six months from now, some major upset could happen. Or you could have the president of your own country who's trying to destroy your industry asking OPEC, who's been also trying to destroy your industry in your country, to produce more, to bring prices down. He wants them to produce more. He wants us to produce less. He's going to regulate and tax us and encourage them and try and incentivize them, make sweetheart deals with them, because apparently we want to produce our energy in some other country. At a certain point, I really just wonder if I should look at getting out of the oil and gas industry. And I don't say that because I'm ideologically opposed to oil and gas development. I'm I'm not. I'm very pro-oil and gas. I still think that it is the cheapest way for us to produce energy and that affordable electricity and motor vehicle fueling requires that we produce our own oil and gas here at home. We refine it. We transport it to market. We make it here because we have it here. I still maintain that that makes the most sense. And the trouble is we have... On the one end of the spectrum, a much older generation of oil and gas workers who are very old school. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got a much younger generation of oil and gas workers. And in between, I find myself the sole breadwinner with a stay-at-home wife, mother of my seven children, our seven children, those seven children, and me feeling like, hey, you know what? We need to have stability. We need to have some predictability and not wonder, am I going to have a job in six months or a year if the market takes just a, a sudden sharp turn and we all get whiplash, you know, regardless of how, you know, and, and that was the crazy thing, right? That was the crazy thing in 2016. I'd worked for ConocoPhillips for four and a half years. I had stellar performance reviews. I got a raise even in the midst of a downturn when only one other guy in the whole Williston Basin got a raise. I was kicking butt and taking names as an operator. And then they decide they're going to close our Sydney office and they want everybody to drive to Watford City, North Dakota, an hour from my home, the home that I bought that I'm just now this weekend actually listing in Sydney, Montana. But I had bought that home in an up market at, be, at the behest of the company. And they wanted me to all of a sudden commute an hour for free to Watford City, even though I was like three blocks from the office in Sydney at their request. And 
it had everything to do with them expecting, betting on, like so many were, Hillary Clinton winning the White House, winning the election over and against Donald Trump. And they were expecting to need every dime, every penny to really tighten the belt proactively ahead of time for the sake of investors because investors were getting skittish. And so it didn't really matter. I mean, from from some office in Houston, Texas, it really didn't matter how much I was getting after it, how hard I was working, how much I was saving the company by doing my job in the way that I was doing it. It didn't really matter the cumulative effect that I was having on my coworkers, on our contractors, other stakeholders. It really didn't matter because none of those metrics showed up on somebody's spreadsheet. All they saw was that we have a brand new office we just built in Watford City. We can let go of this office space in Sydney. We'd save this much money, so let's do it. Well, yeah, but you also lost at least three operators that I know of who had a good chunk of experience who you would have, you would, you would have been much better off keeping in-house Honestly, you could have, you could have made an arrangement. You didn't, because they, I mean, they closed the Sydney office, but they didn't have to also at the same time change their policies to try and mix our drive time. And yet they did. Somebody was looking at a benefit to making the policy change. And they weren't looking at the cost. And it ended up costing them three experienced operators from Eastern Montana, myself first and then two others concurrently, subsequently. So all of this is to say that this Labor Day, I think it behooves us to think about what it is that we do for a living. I'm certainly thinking about it. What is it that I do for a living? How does that impact and affect my core responsibilities, first to God and then to my wife and then to my children, and then to other people outside of work? Am I able to be holistic in serving God, my wife, my children, and others by orienting my work-life balance in XYZ way? You know, I mentioned last week, or this past week, that a policy change greeted me my first day back from quarantine. Hey, welcome back. Surprise! You're now starting at 0700. You have to be at the facility at 0700. And if you're going to be late, call ahead of time, get approval. And before that, there was a great deal of freedom. For almost a decade, I've had a great deal of freedom. Now, somebody could hear that and they could say, well, guess what? Welcome to the real world. You know what? I've had this conversation before with people who didn't work in oil and gas who worked in, quote-unquote, the real world, who didn't make oil and gas wages, who seemed to grin with a kind of smug satisfaction to see the mighty fall because for all the years that they had not been making oil and gas wages, and I had been, they were jealous. They were envious. And now they were pleased to not have to feel jealous and envious anymore. And so some of what is going on here, I'm convinced, is that you have 
people with freedom being envied by people who have not been that free and who don't want other people to have something that they don't have. I'm convinced that is part of it. You have people who don't make as much money being envious of people who do make more money. And so if they can't make more money themselves, or if it's easier to just take somebody else down a notch, make sure they make less money, then they're going to do that because it helps them to sleep at night and not be tossing and turning, feeling insecure, feeling like somebody else has something that they don't have. I'm convinced that that is part of what's in the mix in, it's a big part of what's in the mix nationally, but I think even locally, that is a characteristic of human nature. No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man, thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to thy neighbor is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't even want it. Don't even covet it. Forget stealing it. Forget taking what doesn't belong to you. Don't even want it. Don't even covet it. Because God knows. God sees what's in your heart. And also, if you harbor that, it it seems to have a funny way of coming out in odd, passive-aggressive, nonsensical ways. It seems to have a way, when you covet what belongs to your neighbor, rightfully belongs to your neighbor, it seems to have a funny way of expressing itself in decisions to speak or to not speak, to do or to not do certain things that are unproductive. So you can be praying for me as I go through this weekend because I've appealed the decision, the 0700. I didn't podcast hardly at all this week because I would be podcasting early in the morning. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the morning and I get my cup of coffee and I sit down on my computer and I check the news, I check my email, I check notifications on my other social media accounts And I sit down and I podcast, or I sit down and I write. And I do that until I've created something that I feel like I could be proud of. We're not talking writing the whole day, podcasting the whole day. We're talking about an hour, 30 minutes to an hour of trying to create something that I can be proud of, that keeps me sharp, that keeps me in practice, that helps me to get just a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better at this thing that I'm really committed to. And with this new change at work, where I'm going to be asked to come in at 0700, sharp, there goes that 30 minutes to an hour. That That is my 30 minutes to an hour. When I was coming in at 8 o'clock or 8.15 a.m., there goes my 30 minutes to an hour to create content in the mornings. And I'll just tell you flat out, I'm really not happy about it. Really not happy about it. I'm only seeing a personal cost, and I'm not seeing a benefit to the organization, to the team, to the facility. I don't think it's there. Or if it is, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing it, and nobody's articulating it to me, and I've asked. And so one of two things is going to happen. Either A, I'm going to knuckle under, and you won't be getting the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show podcasts like you have been, like I have been churning them out. 140 as of this episode so far this year. You won't be getting content from me, except for very rarely, or I'm going to have to make this situation change somehow, some way. So you could be praying for me in that regard. It's easy to feel frustrated. It's easy to feel like 
something that's very, very near and dear to me is being threatened. And that can be testing. That can be clarifying as far as priorities go. That can be clarifying as far as your own attitude goes. So I want to have a good attitude. I want to have an attitude that honors the good Lord above. And whether that's rising to the occasion, speaking, objecting, which I have, I have this week, and I'm working on it. I'm trying to appeal the process. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying the appeal process to overturn this change. Um, but whether that's biting my tongue sometimes, whether that's just making an exit, I'm going to remove myself from this situation. Whatever that entails, you can be praying for me personally, because I want to do this in a way that's faithful and honorable, trusting the good Lord, not leaning on my own understanding in all my ways acknowledging him so that he can lift me up, so that he can make my path straight. I would encourage you, if you're in a similar situation, hang in there. Ask the Lord what he would have for you. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for guidance. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault or without reproof or without reproach. In other words, if you ask God for wisdom, He's not like an abusive parent who's going to snap at you and tell you you're an idiot. Gosh, idiot. What do you think? No, he's going to give you generously. If you believe and don't doubt, he will give you generously the wisdom that you're asking for. Wisdom for life. Wisdom that's holistic. That checks all the boxes. That doesn't just approach things in a materialistic way, dollars and cents way alone that doesn't just look at one single factor and ignore all others in a tunnel vision sort of way, but that looks at the whole person. He will give you wisdom if you ask him, believing and not doubting. Don't be double-minded. I'm going to endeavor to not be double-minded myself and also to be anxious for nothing. But in all things, to present my prayers and petitions and requests to God and to lean on him. So I got to run. It's a Saturday morning. I've got some other things cooking today that I need to take care of. But thank you for listening. As always, until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.